Okay, we're in Psalm 83, and uh, Lord willing, we'll finish this one up tonight. Never know with me. May get uh, sidetracked and start chasing rabbits and uh, not get it, but we're going to be answering the question. This is Asaph's song, and uh, it's a prayer. And I want to ask you the question, why should God answer his prayer? Well, why should he answer any of our prayers for that matter? But we're going to uh, kind of pick on him. And as we read our text tonight, there are uh, two times in here where it uses the word that, T-H-A-T. It's called a purpose clause. And so he makes these statements, and then he says that, and then he gives a reason. You might... Uh, kind of scan down, you can look at it, and you can be a little bit ahead of us tonight. And uh, so there is a, a purpose in all of that. And uh, we could also take that word that and add a couple of words to it for clarity, in order that, and then the reason comes like that. Because I think sometimes we pray, and we just pray just spewing out words, but we don't have any real sense of purpose for why we pray, or even better thing would be, why should the Lord answer it? And in the title, we uh, pray, and God should answer Asaph's prayer, and the two that's in the text tell us so that uh, the Lord may be exalted, or we might say, for the glory of the Lord, or that he may be glorified. Somebody uh, asked one time a question, is God just on an ego trip where he wants everything to bring glory to him, and he's the type of person that we have to say how great he is to try to fluff him up, build him up, or anything like that. Is he that sensitive? Is he touchy? Is he, um, you know, always looking for something, you know, that'll come his way? Is, is he that kind of a person? And uh, the answer, of course, I mean, you know this, the answer would be no, he's not like that at all. In fact, let's think about why we ought to glorify the Lord. And uh, I want you to think about the fact that you are here. The fact that you exist. He has created you. And because of that, he would deserve to be thanked. He deserves to be praised. When we uh, think about, uh, well, I mentioned in all of this heat, uh, I, I think about all of us. The fact that we're here means we have ancestors, right? How did our ancestors survive heat like this? And uh, think about what it was like for them. And yet, they made it. That's why we're here. Okay? But uh, God has blessed us so much that we can come in on a hot day like this and actually get a little, a little cool. You know, maybe even a little bit cold for some of us if you're taking blood thinners. And uh, you think about that, that's something our ancestors could never have imagined. Think about King Solomon, as rich as he was, with as much as he had. He couldn't go get a cold Dr. Pepper out of the refrigerator. You know why? They didn't have Dr. Pepper. They didn't have refrigerators. How'd they keep things cold? Only the very richest people could afford to have somebody in the heat of the summer go up to the mountains and uh, get ice if it was available and bring it back. And only the very richest, like a king, 
could ever have anything like a cold drink or ice cream. Ice cream was only for the very rich until pretty recent times. Think about how well we live. We live better than kings. Uh, I thought about this because I've got a doctor's appointment in the morning. He's a doctor I've had for a long time. And one time he was talking to me and he said, I know you don't believe in evolution or anything. And I said, no, I sure don't. And he said, well, regardless of what you think about that, he goes, when you look at our ancestors, depending on where they lived and what their environment was like, they survived by either growing food or going and uh, hunting it. And uh, maybe while they're hunting for a buffalo or a bear or something like that, maybe they find some berries, maybe they find some grain and make some bread, whatever. But uh, they usually would have one or the other. They lived off one or the other. And he said, and their bodies would adapt to it. And so the people that ate grain all the time, their bodies adapted to it. To those who would hunt and kill animals, their bodies adapted to it. He said... One of the problems that we know now because of medical science and observation is our bodies don't have the chance to adapt to anything because we have so much variety. We can have virtually anything we want. He said, in fact, we live better than kings for most of human history. Well, that's really true. And yet we are so ungrateful and uh, we have trouble giving glory to the Lord. We complain because we think everything ought to be in the environment and in situations and families and life. Everything ought to be just perfect. That's what we strive for. Somebody invented air conditioning. God bless that person. Because instead of facing the terrible heat of the environment, we want to cool it down. It's In a sense, it's man's attempt to bring heaven down here to earth, right? To make this a little bit more like heaven. And in our minds, that's kind of what we expect, that we're going to have heaven on earth. Well, it doesn't matter what we invent. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter who our politicians are. It doesn't matter what medical care we have. Heaven will never be here on earth because we're fallen creatures on an earth that groans under the curse, according to the Apostle Paul. And so uh, when, we, when we think about that, we ought to be glorifying God more than any generation ever. And every time you go to your tap and you raise a handle on it, if it's like ours, and you get clean water out of it as much as you want, and you can water your flowers and you can do all of that, and you don't have to haul it around in a bucket from a creek somewhere and wonder what was in it or what went to the bathroom in it upstream or anything. I mean, think about all of that. You ought to be singing hymns, making melody in your heart to the Lord, and breathing a prayer of thanks to the Lord for something like that. Then I thought the other day when I got into the shower, I thought about that. and I thought, It's kind of nice to be able to just, you know, on a hot day, go in and take a shower. And then I thought, and as I'm taking the shower, I can adjust the temperature of the water wherever I want it. Because it was a little cool when I first got in. So no problem. Just turn it a little bit. Ah, there it is. Perfect. Perfect on all of that. Can even adjust it while I'm taking a shower. You know what I'm saying? Do you realize how many people over the thousands and thousands of years of human history couldn't even so much as do that? 
That ought to cause all of us to whistle a happy tune, have joy in our hearts, and say, Thank you, Lord, for hot water. When we uh, think about the times when, um, let's see, come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. Remember that? Poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. How, how many generations are you from that? I'm not very many from it. My family were hillbillies. And uh, that's the way that they would kind of live. And uh, barely kept his family fed is what the song says. You know, how many times do you ever get ready to cook a meal and go, Oh, good night, man, I don't have enough sugar, let's say. What do you do? Because our ancestors would have just done without. Our ancestors, not too far back, just would change the meal maybe. What do we do? Well, we can run to Winco or Walmart or Aldi or anything like that. We can go get sugar or orange juice or, you know, iced tea or anything that we want. We just run and we go get it. Think about what it would be like if you didn't have those stores available. And then think about this. What if they were available, but in order to get to that store, even though it's not very far away, you didn't just go out to your garage, put the key in the ignition and turn What if you had to saddle a horse? And you had to ride a horse in this heat, or in the cold, or in the rain, or in the snow, just to get to the grocery store where it sits now. It wouldn't be worth the trouble most of the time. I mean, I'm just saying, when we think about all that God has given us, and all of the wisdom that He has given us as humans, that we it prolongs our life, it betters our life, we should be the most happy satisfied, thankful people that have ever walked upon the earth. And yet, that doesn't happen very often, does it? Because we're still just as depraved as people who lived a thousand years ago, and uh, we're still as self-centered. So we ought to be giving God glory simply because He has created us, and He has created this wonderful world and the wonderful resources, and then on top of that, all of the technology that blesses our lives. Okay? We also ought to give God glory because as born-again people, He is not only our Creator, He is our Father. Our Father. The one who loves us, the book of Jeremiah says, with an everlasting love. And we ought to think about our salvation. And we ought to think about any time we face a little bit of hardship in life because there are hard times that come on all of us. A little bit of hell splashes over in our lives. And it's kind of like, uh, any of you have heartburn where everything's fine, then all of a sudden you, oh gosh, man, I've got that acid reflux, got a little heartburn, and it's just kind of a mess, and it goes away after a while. Any of you have anything like that? That reminds me that in life, every once in a while, hell burps. Every once in a while, hell has a little reflux, and it splashes over into our lives. And it may be a phone call in the middle of the night that maybe you had a son or daughter that went to a party and they started drinking, and then they were involved in an accident or something like that. It may be the kind of thing to where somebody gets arrested and you've got to go bail them out. You ever had that, that experience? 
It uh, could be that maybe you go to see a doctor and as far as you know, everything's okay. And then he or she comes in and they're acting differently. And you go, what, what, what's, what's the problem? What, what's the deal? And then they tell you and maybe they use the, the C word, cancer, or something like that. Every once in a while, hell comes over into our lives. And when it does... One of the reasons I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul said, in everything give thanks. In this, why should I give thanks in this? Rejoice in the Lord always, he said. Rejoice in this, why should I rejoice in this? My family's falling apart, things are bad on the job, I've got health problems, we've got an economic problem. I mean, what in the world? Why should I rejoice in this? And here's why. Because if God is your Father... It means whatever you go through in this life, as bad as it may be, it's just hell splashing into your life, and it is temporary. The vast majority of this world is going to that permanently and infinitely worse. You're not. And so you can say to the Lord, I thank you that you're my Father. I thank you that this, because of your grace is a temporary thing because you sent your son to pay for my sins and I'm on my way to heaven. It only gets better from here and we can be reminded of all of the people around us that uh, this is their best life. It's only going to get worse from here. And the reason I use those two terms is because in the book of Malachi, the Lord says to the people of Israel... Okay, If I am your father and I'm your master, where is my honor? Because we honor our fathers and we honor our masters. He said, where is mine? And the way they treated God, well, you've heard people do this. Some people will talk about God and use his name as a cuss word in a way that you would hit him if they talked about your mama. You would uh, be upset if they talked about your hound dog like that, right? And uh, yet they do that with God. And we don't want to join in. We're not here to join in their fun. And somebody said, well, you still haven't answered the question, what about this thing about glorifying and exalting God all the time? Is that just to stroke his ego or something like that? No. I want you to think about the fact that God is the only perfect being in the universe. Only perfect being in the universe. And I want you to think about when we glorify humans, usually something bad happens. If you were to go with me in 1973 and cross the border in Berlin, Checkpoint Charlie and go into East Germany. You know what you've found all over that? Statues of... I don't remember his name, but the first communist dictator that they had. Honer or something like that. Can't remember now. Uh, all over the place. Statues of Vladimir Lenin all over the place. If you were to go into Beijing, you would see statues and posters and pictures of, of Mao all over the place. If you would go to Havana, you would see pictures of Castro all over the place. If you were to go back to ancient Rome, you would see statues of Nero and, and uh, people like that. And what was life like in those situations? Tyranny. Tyranny. 
oppression, persecution, bloodshed, genocide, all of those kind of things. But you know what happens when you glorify God? When you glorify God, that glory spills out on you. And you get the sun and the moon and the stars and the beauty of the heavens. When you glorify God, you get grace, mercy, everlasting love, pardon, the penalty of your sins paid for. When you glorify God, what do you get? Streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates made out of a, a, a single pearl. Somebody said when they get to heaven, they're going to look and go, wow, that must have been some oyster. You're going to walk on those and you're going to have a place prepared for you by the Lord Jesus himself. When you glorify the perfect God, the only one who deserves it, his glory splashes out on us in tremendous blessing and benefit. doesn't happen when you glorify man. You get trouble. You get pain. You get heartache. You get broken relationships. You get all kinds of things. It goes to our head, you know. But when God is glorified, then the pleasure of God spills out upon us. And so why should God answer Asaph's prayer? One reason, because it exalts the Lord. So let's read about it. Psalm 83, 13 through 18. Oh my God, make them the enemies that are surrounding Jerusalem, make them like the whirling dust. Uh, I found out that there are a significant number of other translations that say, make them like tumbleweeds. Okay, No stability, blowing around, confused, and, and they disintegrate. Okay, You get the idea. Or whirling dust here. Sometimes Hebrew, you know, there's a variety of ways we can go. It's an ancient, ancient language. Make them like the whirling dust... Like the chaff before the wind that blows away when you pound on the wheat. Verse 14. As the fire burns the woods and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. It was a dry area. Okay, So pursue them with your tempest. That unrelenting purposeful tempest. And frighten them. With your storm. Fill their faces with shame. And then we find out why he's praying this. Why do you want this to happen, Asaph? Are you just mean? No. He, he, we see a little bit of his heart. This Old Testament poet's heart. Why? That they may seek your name, O Lord. You know what Asaph is praying for? The salvation of the people that would just as soon destroy him and his people and their culture as look at them. And he has the audacity to pray for God to pursue them, to bring pain and grief and struggle into their life that they might be saved. Are you bold enough to pray for somebody's salvation to say, Lord, do whatever it takes? Because if you're related to them, you got to live with them through that, don't you? You pray for a son or a daughter and you say, Oh Lord, I'm so broken hearted over my lost boy. Do whatever it takes. Well, if they're living in your home and if they're related in you, buckle up. Buckle up. But this is an awful lot of love. This tells you a little bit about his heart. That they may know your name, O Lord. Verse 17. 
Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish. And look at verse 18. That they may know that you whose name alone is the Lord, the Most High over all the earth. Now, I can't be 100% on this, but it kind of appears to me the way this is written, the first of that is talking about something that happens in this life that causes them to repent and to come to know the Lord. The second that seems to be the eternal thing Bring them to the place where before they're cast into the lake of fire, they confess that you are Lord of all. Like Philippians 2 says and like Revelation uh, chapter 20 says that uh, there'll be a judgment day and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Revelation it says that they're going to be cast into the lake of fire forever. But... uh, That's just a little bit of uh, sanctified imagination on that. Don't know that for sure, but it sure kind of sounds that way to me as you look at the way it is worded. But we're answering a different question. I don't think we have any uh, disunity or confusion about where lost people go for eternity. But I would rather answer the question, why should God answer Asaph's prayer? And the idea here is in both of those that's, It would be so that God is exalted. He's being put down. He's being trampled on. At least from a human standpoint, it looks that way. And uh, Asaph's heart is that God would be exalted in them. So let's talk about this and think about number one. God is exalted when we personally know and trust Him. Now he says those three words, Oh my God, sometimes you may see it um, on social media, OMG. I hate that. Because most of the time when people use it, they use it as a byword. They use it in a thoughtless, empty manner. And when the Bible says not to use the Lord's name in vain, the word vain there means in an empty, thoughtless, mindless manner. God is worth more than that. His name is to be honored. It's to be revered. It's certainly not to be used as a cuss word. And it is also not to be used just in a thoughtless manner. Well, Asaph's not doing that. Asaph is doing this in terms of, as a term of endearment. Oh, my God. My God. And that's where the first point comes from. Because Asaph has trusted the Lord. Asaph knows the Lord. Asaph can say, you are my God. And uh, it's amazing that the Bible makes room for God to own us. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we also own Him. He becomes our God. You find that over and over in the Scripture. And that glorifies God. Most of the world, if they do acknowledge a supreme being, they don't know who He is. And one is just as good as another. Any old God will do. So worship Buddha or Allah or anybody else you want. Or worship Jehovah if you want to. Yeah, it's up to you. Whatever you choose. Worship the God of your choice. Well, that's not the way it is with the Bible. And some people curse God. And some people use God to curse others, of course. And yet uh, Asaph says, Oh, my God. Praying to a God that he knows. Makes me think of Psalm 18, verse 46. The Lord lives... 
And blessed be my rock. There's that possessive again. And exalted, there's a word we're looking for, exalted be the God of my salvation. And it ought to be that we just burst out in song and burst out in praise and burst out in glorifying the Lord just simply because I am His and He is mine. To know that we belong to the Lord and He belongs to me. And uh, think of that old song, Jesus my Lord will love me forever. From Him no power of evil can sever. He gave His life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Aren't those beautiful words? And that's what Asaph starts off by reminding us what a privilege it is to know Him. And every time somebody gets saved, God is exalted and every time you acknowledge that God is your God and you praise him and you speak to him and you honor him and you obey him and you talk to others about him God is exalted and that's why number one why this prayer should be answered number two God is exalted when the enemy is defeated now we don't see all of the defeats of the enemy in fact uh, we kind of have a little bit of a problem where we only see our battles. We don't see everybody else's battles. Do you realize in this room tonight with the people that are here, there are a lot of battles that are going on in their life that you don't know anything about. And they're struggling and they're beaten down and they are maybe even feeling kind of whipped tonight. And, you know, for you, life is, life is pretty good, you know, and it's, it's kind of a you've had a reprieve and everything's going well for you. Well, that doesn't mean it's that way for everybody. There are a lot of battles. But we get in the battles so that God can receive glory through the victory. There's no battle. There's no victory. No big deal. Um, I think that uh, sometimes you find nations like our own. If you ever find times where there's kind of like a reprieve from war... I think nations tend to get soft. I think they tend to get ungrateful. And uh, it probably happened after the Revolutionary War, after the War of 1812, after the Civil War, and, you know, all of the Re Spanish-American War, the uh, World War I, and uh, World War II, and Korea, and Vietnam, those kind of things. When you have those lulls in between, I think we tend to get a little bit soft I think we tend to forget just how vulnerable we really are. And that's why 9-11 made such a tremendous impact on our nation. You do know that right at the Sunday after 9-11, churches were filled all over from coast to coast. And it uh, didn't last very long. But there was something about that that said we, can be, we are vulnerable. This, this could be horrible. And uh, maybe an army doesn't come and attack us. But who, who knew that somebody would hijack airplanes and crash them into buildings in the Pentagon? And, and who knows what that plane that crashed in Pennsylvania would have done? And what if they were to do that, maybe not with three planes? What if they did that with 50? What if they did that with 100 planes? What if something happened where, uh, you know, maybe you're at a football game this fall. And maybe you're in there with 80,000 people and a plane crashes in the middle of that or a mass shooting or any... I mean, think about all of those things. And every once in a while, we need a wake-up call. It's like the Lord says, hey, wake up. 
And he says that to the world, and it ought to get their attention. But maybe he's also saying that to us. Do we really think that today could be our last day? Do we really understand how vulnerable we really are and how dependent upon God we really are? It would change everything if we could see that and if we could think of it that way. But then we also think about uh, parades and we think about uh, celebrations. I wasn't around uh, in World War II, but I have seen uh, pictures and uh, read descriptions of what it was like when they had victory in Europe, VE Day and VJ Day, victory over Japan. People cried and they wept and they would kiss strangers and they were dancing in the streets and all of that uh, type of stuff was happening, right? You celebrate when you have those kind of things. Just uh, yesterday, President Biden gave the Medal of Honor to uh, four Vietnam veterans, one of them posthumously. One of them was from right here in Oklahoma. And uh, they described, you know, what he did when he was fighting in that, that kind of forgotten war. But he got, uh, got his recognition yesterday. It was uh, quite impressive to hear about him. When you think about the people that are honored, and you think about all that happens because of a war, if you take the war away, if you take the battle away, if you take the horror away, if you take the bloodshed away, if you take all of that, you don't have the celebrations, you don't have the statues, you don't have the medals, you don't have the ceremonies. It's because of going through that that there's the celebration that comes out of all of it. Okay? Did you know the same thing is true in your life? The battle determines your blessing. If you're not fighting any battles, you're probably not getting any blessings. If you're not fighting the battle and faithful in the battle and intent on defeating the enemy and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, then no wonder you don't have very much joy in your life because the joy comes in winning the battles. Why? Because it's in the battle being won that the Lord is glorified. And so uh, this is a battle that they're going to fight or the Lord is going to fight for them. And uh, what a tremendous celebration that they had. God is exalted when the enemy is defeated. Now we can look at that spiritually and think about sin and those type of things. And that certainly would be appropriate. But uh, as Asaph prays the, uh, this, and he talks about him, he says, Make them like the whirling dust. Make them about as significant as a tumbleweed. Let's put it that way. Here they are showing up, surrounding Jerusalem, and they're even getting so bold as to show their faces. And you can see the glint of the sunlight off of their helmet and off of their spears. They're not even afraid of the people of God. Well, they're going to find out. The enemy has been saying, as we saw earlier, we'll wipe out Israel and their God. Well, they're going to find out. They're going to find out. Not so fast, bucko. Right? And so uh, they're going to become insignificant. Like the chaff before the wind as the fire uh, burns the woods and the flame sets the mountains on fire. Kind of like what happens every year in California, right? So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them. They're so bold right now. Scare them to death, O Lord, and frighten them with your storm and fill their faces with shame. In Exodus 15, 1 and 2, Israel has just crossed the Red Sea. 
You remember how frightened they were when they saw Pharaoh and his army coming? And they cross the Red Sea on dry land. They get to the other side and the sea closes in on all the Egyptians. And this group and this band of slaves has defeated a world empire. That's amazing. They start uh, celebrating. Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Some translations say my victory. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And when we think about all of that, the Moses ending on saying, I will exalt him, that's what our theme is. It takes a battle and defeating the enemy, and God is exalted whenever the enemy is defeated. Put on your armor, go to war, fight, and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, because he never loses. And number three, why should he answer Asaph's prayer? Because God is exalted when he is vindicated, when he is vindicated. And so many times people blame God, they shake their fist at God, we wonder, even, even us, don't, don't we say sometimes, why? I don't understand this, Lord, why is this happening? And out of the pain of our heart, out of the sorrow and grief of our heart, out of the anguish that comes out of us when we're squeezed and we're pressed by things that we didn't ask for, things we didn't expect, things that we didn't want and we say oh God why and uh, somebody told me one time well I know we're not to question God and I said Who, where in the world did you get that and they said I don't know I just thought that's what people said and they said no there's nothing wrong with questioning God that's how you learn that's how you learn I think the difference is how you ask the question if you ask question like you're a boss and you're saying justify yourself like God's your servant or God's your employee, you're probably not going to get an answer, at least not a good one, not one that you're going to like. But when you are coming before the Lord saying, Lord, I am hurting. Lord, my life is, is in turmoil. Lord, I don't think I have any tears left. My tear ducts, tear ducts have the dry heaves. You know, I don't know what to do with all of this. Why, Lord? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to learn? I think he's more than will, willing to answer that prayer. And in time, you'll get that answer. And in heaven, you'll certainly get it. I think the old hymn is right. We'll understand it better by and by. And when we think about uh, this thing, the Lord being vindicated, they were saying, we will wipe out Israel and we will take them and the name of their God and it'll be gone. Gone. How dare you? How dare you? And God says, oh yeah? And so he flexes his bicep and all of a sudden everything has changed in this battle that they may seek your name O Lord let them be confounded confused let them be dismayed nothing makes sense to them let that happen and, and be a permanent situation until they uh, get things right and make things right yes let them be put to shame and perish and this uh, reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he comes into Judah and he destroys the temple. He carries out the treasures of the temple. Don't you know that the Jews were watching that and going, he's going to get killed when he goes into the Holy of Holies and then he walks out with gold and he walks out with the furnishings. Don't you know they were going, what, 
in the world is going on. Even the high priest dies if he goes into the Holy of Holies at the wrong time and without proper preparation, right? How can this guy do it? And Nebuchadnezzar let it go to his head because he thought that because he conquered Judah and tore down the temple and took the furnishings of Yahweh out of the temple and put them in the house of his God that he was big dog daddy. Didn't he? And the Bible says... In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time, I take that to mean seven years, seven years shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. And God could have left him there. But it goes on because our God is a redeeming God. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion unlike mine and His kingdom endures from generation to generation unlike mine. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me, and my counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now listen to this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol, that means exalt, the word we're talking about, exalt and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble, and all God's people said. We need a dose of that, don't we? Sometimes we need it ourselves. And we live in a nation that sure needs it. We have a lot of leaders and kings all over the earth that sure need it. Not just in our land. You ever pray for the premier of China to be saved? 
Someone asked me one time, is it okay for me to pray that Vladimir Putin would be assassinated? And I said, why don't you just pray for him to get saved? That would solve the problem. You ever think about world leaders and people like that? Say, well, it'll never happen. Nebuchadnezzar is a good testimony that you're dead wrong. That you're dead wrong. And if you want a good theology class, read what he said after his reason returned to him because this is a very reasonable theology. This is who God is, the true and the living God. And Nebuchadnezzar knows that better than a lot of Baptists do, shamefully. That's a tremendous, tremendous statement. Okay, number four. We'll wrap up. It's time to go. God is exalted when he is confessed as Lord. Every time somebody says Jesus is Lord, God is exalted. God is exalted. And when you take Philippians 2 and put it together with the passage in Revelation where people are called before God, the lost dead are called before God, and then they're judged according to their works and then they're cast into the lake of fire, I kind of take it that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess takes place at that point. In other words, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth is what we find in the lake of fire, right? I wonder if the wailing is people in hell continually saying, He's Lord! He's Lord! He's Lord! He's Lord! He's Lord! I wonder if that's what eternity is like in hell. In the pain and the torment, making an empty confession... But they all had to do it. Pilate will have to kneel before Christ one day and say, Jesus is Lord. Judas will kneel before Jesus one day and say, Jesus is Lord. Same with Hitler. Same with Osama bin Laden. We can name lots of names. And God's going to get glory, listen to this, even when people are cast into an eternal hell, the last thing they do is give glory to the God that they profaned all of their life. Here's the great news. God in His mercy and grace and love has allowed us to confess that Jesus is Lord in a way that brings salvation to us. Not before we're cast into hell, but we do it here on earth, and it prepares us to go to heaven. And when I think about that, I have to uh, think about what it says in verse 18 of Psalms 83, that they may know that you whose name alone is the Lord are most high over all the earth. That's an Old Testament way of saying what Paul said in Philippians 2, 9-11. through 11, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those in earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this exaltation of Christ is going to happen and it's going to happen universally and everybody is going to do it. And this is how we, before that time, ought to look at everything.
Christ is Lord. Christ is being exalted. In the war between Russia and Ukraine, we should look at that through the eyes of the exalted Christ. Our problems, our pain, our troubles, our turmoil, we look at that as to how we can exalt Christ. That's what we talked about Sunday morning. We exist for the exaltation of Christ. This service tonight is for the exaltation of Christ. Our lives that we live in good times and bad times are for the exaltation of Christ. How can I exalt Christ in the midst of this pain? How can I exalt Christ in the midst of this disappointment? How can I exalt Christ in the midst of this betrayal? That's how we have to look. When we look at world leaders... When we look at wars, when we look at tragedies, when we think about church services and programs, when we think about even the salvation of the lost. Oh Lord, I'm so burdened for this person. I don't want them to go to hell. But more importantly, I want you to get what you deserve out of their life. That you would be exalted in their life and through them. That's what Asaph is praying for. And even in the midst of our personal difficulties, we look at it like Asaph did and we say, this is indeed for the glory of my king. Father, we pray tonight that we're reminded, that we're learning, that we're growing, and that we are seeing that it's not about us. It's not about our comfort it's not about getting relief from our pain. We've got an eternity in heaven to have that. But while we're here on earth, we're in a battle. While we're here on earth, we are on a battlefield and we're being attacked. And they're not really coming after us. They're wanting us because we represent you. We're your ambassadors. You live within us. We wear your armor. We march to your drumbeat. We follow your orders. And they cannot stand it. Help us, Father, to not be whiny toddlers. Help us to be men and women of faith, mature soldiers. Train us, teach us, and let us experience victory so that your name is exalted and the enemy is defeated. And remind us that it's all about you getting the glory that you deserve. And we pray this, Lord, asking you to forgive us of our sin. Because we fail in this area so often. Thank you that Christ paid for that on the cross. Teach us. Be patient with us. And glorify your name. Exalt your name through us. And it's in Jesus' high name that we pray. Amen. And amen.